Welcome to the Highly Spirited Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McNew. I love cocktails and I love the macabre. So every week I'm bringing you a cocktail recipe in history and some ghost stories. So let's get ready to get lit and get scared. Hi, hello. It is back to school time. Well, the elementary and middle school, high school kids where I'm at, they've been back for a few weeks now. It feels like they go back just earlier and earlier every year. Like they don't even get a summer anymore. And I'm so glad I had what felt like a solid 10 weeks of being out of school when I was in school. I felt like we got real summers. I feel like theirs are just kind of a blur, but maybe they're ready to go back. I don't know. But this week, it seems like it's back to school time for colleges and universities. If it's not this week, it's probably next or the one after. They're going back around this time. So that had me thinking there has to be tons of haunted universities. I mean, some are centuries old and fraternities and sororities have some deep, weird secrets. I can't imagine the nonsense that goes on in dorm rooms, lecture halls, private offices after hours. I'm sure there's some ghosties hanging around some of these old educational institutions. And I will say this is not going to be an episode about fraternities and sororities and like their hazing practices and their secret rituals. I'm very interested in those things, but that's not what I dove into here. I wanted real haunts. So that's what we're going to talk about later. But before that, I have a cocktail for you guys. And I don't even know if you can call it a cocktail. It's more of an abomination, really. And it's been getting college kids obliterated for decades now. And I've had plenty of myself in my early 20s. And they probably contributed to the fact that I didn't even finish community college. (laughs) There was this bar in Muncie, Indiana, that had them half-priced one night a week. And no one needs these things half-priced. I mean, you're a broke college kid. You can buy more than one. You never need more than one. And when you're getting them half-priced, you think you need five. You absolutely don't. This drink is called the AMF, or by its full name, the Adios Motherfucker. And it absolutely lives up to its name. (laughs) Trust me if you haven't had one. The AMF is quite similar to a Long Island iced tea in that it's filled with booze and not much else. But it differs in that it uses blue curacao and Sprite or 7-Up instead of just adding a splash of Coke. Some even refer to it as the Blue Long Island. But I hate that, and it's just kind of fun to say adios, motherfucker. And I feel like we're adults, like, let's use its real name. (laughs) It's government name. The history of this cocktail is as unclear as your head will feel the next morning after drinking it. And there is kind of a bi-coastal battle claiming its origin. Some believe it was first created at the China Club in NYC in the 80s, while others claim it was invented in San Diego. Either way, it took college bars and clubs by storm in the late 80s, early 90s. And it kind of disappeared for a while, but it had a resurgence in the mid-2000s, which was pretty unfortunate for me. (laughs) But let's make one, and promise not to hate me if you actually make and drink this thing, okay? It's a half ounce of vodka, half ounce of white rum, half ounce tequila, half ounce gin, half ounce blue curacao, and two ounces of sweet and sour mix. Top it with Sprite or 7-Up. You're just going to add all these ingredients to a highball glass that has ice in it, stir it with a bar spoon, and it's done. If But if you feel the need to garnish it, if you want to be a little bit fancy with the disaster you just created, you can add a lemon wedge. And that is the adios, motherfucker, or the AMF if you're polite. They're a lot. They're a lot. They're good and they're pretty. They taste good and they're pretty. Um, but other than that, I mean, maybe just leave these things alone. I, I've learned my lesson with those. I'm too old for them now. I think maybe I could have one at like 
a brunch. I can't have them at night anymore. <laughs> but anyways, I will be right back after this break with some haunted calls. guys, did you know I have a new book out? It's called Drinking with the Stars, Cocktails for the Zodiac. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a fun little book that pairs a cocktail with each zodiac sign. So inside is a little blurb about your star sign and then the cocktail I think best pairs with it. It's really fun to go through and make these cocktails. So check it out. It's available on Amazon and I can post a link in the show notes. Cheers. We're back. I made a Facebook post a couple weeks ago asking if anyone had any haunted college stories and oh my god, did you guys come through for those? A lot of you shared some personal stories or just suggested stories and shared links to hauntings from your alma maters. And I am so grateful for what you shared with me. I jumped right into those stories and I'm going to share them right here right now. All right, I'm going to start with a local one, at least a semi-local to me. I didn't go there, but I definitely spent a lot of time on their campus at parties. And that is Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, or Funcie, if you had fun there. <laughs> Apparently, Elliott Hall, a co-ed dormitory, has a resident ghost. Elliott Hall was built in the years 1937 to 1939 to honor Elliott Ball. The Ball brothers donated the land that became Ball State University, and I'm an idiot because I'm just now putting together that the entire university was named after them. And if you don't know, they are the balls of ball mason jars that were created in Muncie, Indiana. But Elliott Hall was built to honor their brother after he died in a plane crash in 1936, and it was built in this gothic Tudor style to replicate the dorm he lived in when he attended Princeton University. But that's just its backstory. Elliot is not the ghost that haunts these dorms, even though a photo of him is sealed into the cornerstone of the building. The ghost that haunts Elliot Hall is allegedly a man by the name of William Carl Schomburg. Schomburg was a World War II veteran that was attending Ball State through the U.S. Army's reintroduction program. Schomburg didn't have an easy go of things after the war because he was left disfigured from things that had happened to him while in action. People were cruel about his appearance and he felt shunned even from his family and fiance and the other students. When school resumed after winter break, Schomburg hit his breaking point and hung himself from the rafters on the fourth floor library January 26, 1947. He is still said to haunt the library and his former dorm room. So if you see a little disfigured ghost checking in, like, you know, maybe just say hi. Maybe just be nice to him. I feel like people weren't nice to him while he was still living. Another Indiana university that is said to be haunted is the home of the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame. Their most famous ghost is perhaps a football player named the Gipper. You've all probably heard his famous line, win one for the Gipper, even if you're not a football fan. But did you know that it was his deathbed speech? The entire quote is, I've got to go, Rock. It's all right. I'm not afraid. Sometime, Rock, when the team is up against it, when things are wrong and the brakes are beating the boys, tell them to go in there and give all they got and win. Just win one for the Gipper. I don't know where I'll be then, Rock, but I'll know about it and I'll be happy. He said this to coach Newt Rockney shortly before he died. The Gipper, whose real name was George Gipp, most likely died of pneumonia. In December of 1920, he missed curfew and the doors to his dormitory at Washington Hall were locked. With no way to get in, he just decided to sleep outside. 
He contracted pneumonia and later died from its complications. After his passing, the other students in Washington Hall started hearing unexplained noises like disembodied footsteps and rustling papers when no one appeared to be around. He also liked to play music in the middle of the night and was often spotted in the music hall as well. He was mostly considered a friendly ghost and his deathbed quote still hangs in the locker room. He was posthumously inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1951. Let's move on to a college in my neighboring state of Ohio, the armpit of America. (laughs) Sorry, Ohio, besides Cincinnati, you're just not a joy to me. But you do have Ohio University, not the obnoxious Ohio State University, but Ohio University. This is a smaller institution located in Athens, Ohio, and it's apparently very haunted. Some of its hauntings is due to the location and its former neighbor across the street, which was the Athens Lunatic Asylum. This asylum was one of the gnarly ones that experimented with electroshock therapy, lobotomies, and God knows what else. So of course that place is haunted as shit, and it didn't close until 1993, which is honestly not that long ago. The Lunatic Asylum was also called the Ridges for some time. You know, like when we got politically correct and stopped calling things Lunatic Asylums, it was known as the Ridges, which was a mental health care facility. I don't think they got that much better at taking care of their patients because it did close down. Anyways, it being across from the college, bored college kids were bound to explore it. One of the most famous sites in the old asylum is known as the Stain of Margaret Schilling. Margaret was a patient who died there in 1979, but since the facility was so good at taking care of their patients, she lay dead for months in an attic before her body was even discovered. And of course, by that time, it had left an irremovable decomp stain. Obviously, the stain became a must-see for new and old students alike. Along with the other horrible things that happened there, ghost stories flourished among students. On the university property, there is a haunted dorm called Wilson Hall. One room inside Wilson Hall is so notorious for haunts and its history, it's now sealed off. That room is 428. Several students had died in room 428, one reportedly astral projected, and several have reported poltergeist activity, such as doors slamming and items flying off shelves and shattering against walls. Another dormitory on campus known as Washington Hall is apparently haunted by an entire women's basketball team. They all died in a bus accident and transportation from an away game. Current residents of Washington Hall report having their hair pulled, blankets being ripped from their beds, items on their desks being moved around and found in odd places the next day. They've also reported unexplained knocking on their windows at night, as well as music just being cut off out of nowhere. That girl's basketball team, they're just menaces to the living now, apparently. Another collegiate haunt in Ohio is Heidelberg University, located in Tiffin. This was a suggestion from my friend Josh Michaels. There's apparently three haunted spots on Heidelberg's campus, but they don't have some horrendous or sad backstory like the others I've previously mentioned. All they seem to know about these ghosty spots are that they are ghosts there, and there's zero explanation as to why. The basement of Willard Hall has a shadow figure entity that can be quite aggressive and seems to delight in scaring students. After just one run-in with him, most refuse to visit the basement again. Apparently, there are some catacombs beneath Founders Hall, and disembodied voices and footsteps are often heard, as well as the dragging of a large unknown item. 
And I would guess it's a former casket or something similar, but that's just like my very uneducated guess. Banging and unexplained thuds are often heard coming from the catacombs as well. Above ground, students are haunted by radios, lights, and TVs turning on and off all by themselves, along with mysterious footprints and whisperings in the hallways, as well as their doors locking and more frightening, unlocking, seemingly all on their own as well. France Hall also has a resident ghost affectionately known as Ellen, but she does seem like she's a bit of a pain in the ass. Her hauntings include moving things around in the kitchen, causing smoke alarms to go off, and locking students out of their room. While we're still on Midwestern universities, my friend Jeff Robichaud suggested checking out University of Wisconsin Whitewater. I was delighted to learn that Whitewater is referred to as the Second Salem, like Salem, Massachusetts, little witchy city. This is the Second Salem, and I I really got to go visit sometime. It sounds fascinating. This little town has all kinds of spooky history and haunts, including its cemetery that UW students love to frequent around Halloween time. The Starin Park Cemetery also has a water tower referred to as the Witch's Tower. The tower is near the campus and has been a source of fright for students over the years, many refusing to walk by it alone at night. The tower is surrounded by a spiky wrought iron fence. Usually these fences point up or out to keep vandals or unwanted people from getting in, but the spikes on this fence point in and we can only assume it's to keep the spirits or the witches in the fence, so it's really protecting you. The university library apparently has an evil haunted book that causes death to anyone who reads its pages. A librarian there stated that a few times a year someone might ask for the book, but there's no record of it, no name, no author, no location on the shelves. She assumes it doesn't exist, and for her safety, that's probably for the best that she just keeps on believing that it doesn't. Whitewater, Wisconsin was also the home to the former Morris Pratt Institute, From 1899 into the 1930s, the Institute operated as a school for spiritualism. Of course, with spiritualism being highly misunderstood, this place garnered some rumors of witches and ghosts and all kinds of paranormal stuff. They really did not help themselves by having a whole ass seance room where everything inside was white, like white walls, carpet, furniture, everything, just white. It probably looked like a friggin' asylum room, but they did have a seance room. The public was aware that it existed, but they were never invited into it to keep that place sacred. Yeah, it sounds interesting. The Institute left Whitewater in 1946, but it is still fully operational today in Milwaukee. And let me tell you, if I had it in me to go back to school, if I had an ounce of desire to go back to school, I would definitely check out a place like this. It sounds way more interesting than community college. But lucky for me, in my wallet, I have zero desire to go back to school. I just Google everything I want to know, baby. I have like a doctorate in Google, okay? Moving right along to Eastern Illinois University, that was suggested by my friend Brian, who also suggested the Mad Gasser of Mattoon a few episodes back. I want to keep this guy around. He is full of good spooky info. (laughs) The most haunted building on this campus is Pemberton Hall. A woman's dormitory, also affectionately known as PEM by some residents. The haunting of Pemberton Hall is a rather sad and gruesome story. It started in January of 1917 
when a resident couldn't sleep, so she took herself up to the fourth floor music room to quietly play piano, hoping it would tire her. Somehow, a male janitor gained access to the dorms late that night. He should not have been there after hours, but he came upon the young woman in the music room with her back to the door, where he silently snuck up on her, beat her, then raped her, then beat her some more, leaving her for dead and silently exiting the building. Except she wasn't dead. She was in pretty bad shape, but she managed to drag herself down the stairs to the residential floors, scratching at doors, trying to get anyone's attention who might be awake. She was desperate for help, but nobody came to her rescue. She finally managed to drag herself down the rest of the hallway to the counselor's door. And by counselor, I think they mean RA, like residential advisor, because the girl who was the counselor on the floor was also a student and around all their same age. So I think counselor, RA, if that's what you're familiar with, same thing. Mary was the counselor's name, and by the time she got to the door, the girl had died and she just found her in a pool of blood. This haunted Mary for some time afterwards. So much so, she ended up being institutionalized and later committed suicide. Mary was known to be outgoing, bubbly, and carefree. But after all this, her personality quickly changed and she just became very anxious, very nervous. And she paced the hallways, checking on all the girls at night. She just overcome with guilt, really, because she felt like she didn't take care of one of her girls and this shouldn't have happened. But after the years, hauntings had happened. New residents reported hearing scratching at their doors at night, like the outside of their doors. They'd open it. Nobody was there. Some even reported seeing bloody footprints that just seemed to disappear as soon as they noticed them. Others didn't experience that, but they did experience what they think is Mary's ghost. Mary's ghost still haunts the dormitory by pacing the halls, unlocking and locking doors, turning off radios, and generally just making sure her girls are safe and in for the night. Some residents have reported seeing a blonde woman enter their room, look around as if to check everything is in order, and then suddenly disappear. And Mary Hawkins did have blonde hair, and checking on rooms does seem pretty on brand for her. So there's, I feel like there's two go- ghosts. There's like the girl that got murdered. She's just scratching the footprints. But Mary's just kind of like keeping track. Are you in for the night? Are you safe? She's like your little mama ghost, like mama friend. <laughs> you want to marry in your life. I, You absolutely do. Other strange happenings have also been known to happen, such as furniture seemingly rearranging itself at night, piano music coming from nowhere, and knocking that sounds like it's coming from inside the wall. Transylvania University is said to be haunted and was suggested by Heather of her Kentucky. Yes, this Transylvania University is in Kentucky, Its student body is not made up of vampires, as far as I know, but it may have some ghosts. One being Constantine Rapinesque. What a name and what a fucking guy, actually. He was a professor there in 1819, and he was known to be quite eccentric and was a professor of botany. He spent the majority of his time on campus and rarely went home, which is ironic because he is now entombed on campus in the old Morrison building. But back to him being a botany nerd. Look, I love some plants, but this guy was super nerd about it. But in spite of that, he could still get it. Rumors spread that he was having an affair with the university president's wife, which led to him being fired from the teaching staff the following year, which led to him apparently putting a curse on the entire university. Apparently, fires broke out everywhere on campus and odd things happened as well. The university fought to acquire his remains in the 1920s, thinking bringing him back to campus could put a stop to the curse. 
things seemed to calm down after he was brought back. He's kind of a legend there, and the mascot was renamed to honor him in 2017, becoming known as Raph the Bat. Besides Raph, there's another ghost on campus whose name remains unknown. He appears at the ends of beds and dorm rooms wearing an old-timey gym shorts uniform, but quickly disappears after being noticed. I hate him. Like, don't fucking show up here in your gym clothes, weirdo. He sounds creepy. I hope, like, nothing bad happened to him, and that's why he's a ghost, but, like, dude, no. That's not the vibe. Bye. In a true crime twist, a student named Betty Gail Brown was murdered in her car in the 1960s. Her car was parked in front of Old Morrison at the time of her death. No suspect was ever caught, and no motive was ever identified. She was strangled in the car with her bra as the strangulation device, but nothing of value was stolen from her vehicle, and it seemed very random and senseless. Not knowing who the killer was added to the students being scared at the time. A homeless person confessed to her murder, but an alibi later proved to be a false confession. Some even suspected her own mother killed her, but there was never solid evidence of that either. Others were content just believing it was the curse of wrath, just claiming another victim. So next up, I have a personal story from a very talented musician and dear friend, Susie. Her story takes place at the University of the South, also known as Sewanee in Tennessee. And I'm just going to read the story she sent to me. She was kind enough to send me a message. So I'm just going to read it because it gave me cold chills and there's no way I could better rephrase it. So I'm just going to read exactly what she wrote to me. Thank you, Susie, for sending this in. She says, I was working a job in the seminary while my ex-husband was a master's student there. My job was to inspect used books that were donated to the university and help ship them to students in Africa that needed resources. One of the places a load of boxes of books had been stored was underneath the chapel in what we referred to as the catacombs. It was dark and creepy and everything you would imagine such a space to look like. When I was sent to go through those books in the catacombs, I was super nervous about what I might encounter. But I am a good worker and worked up my nerve to go down those stairs into the damp darkness. Sure enough, hairs on my arms and the back of my neck started to stand up as soon as I got to work opening boxes and making noise. I tried to work as quickly as possible, but it was a ton of books and some had water damage so they all needed to be sorted. I would pick up a book, rifle through the pages quickly to see if it had damage, and move on to the next one as fast as I could, throwing the damaged books in a pile. About the third box in, I had a distinct feeling of someone standing behind me, so I quickly spun around, but no one was there. At that moment, inches from the back of my head, I heard the sound of pages of a book being rifled through just exactly like I had been doing. I screamed super loud and ran my ass out of there so fast I almost tripped and fell. I told my boss there was no way in hell I was going back down in that place, and luckily she knew about the ghost and I didn't have to. And she sent me a link to uh, some Samwani ghosts, but when I read that, I got cold chills. I have them now rereading it. Oh, it's that ghost was just trying to do your job with you or he's mocking you. I, I don't love it. <laughs> it was... Susie, that was a great story. Thank you for sharing it. I still have cold chills. And now I have another personal story that comes from my friend Linda, who I've only met virtually on happy hour Zooms, but I hope to meet soon at the ABV Barrel Shop. I'm just going to read hers verbatim as well, because I could do it no justice by trying to paraphrase. Hers says, my husband Matt and I went to Southeast Missouri State University. We lived in a dorm called Cheney Hall from 95 to 98. Matt lived in a room with a private 
bath with the tub covered up with a plywood set of shelves. Online says it was turned into a storage closet, but it was definitely just a covered up bathtub. (laughs) The story was that a woman committed suicide in that tub sometime in the 1970s and continues to haunt the halls of Cheney Hall. She wears a long nightgown and has long hair. We never saw her, but the school used to do ghost tours of Cheney until they closed in 2017, and they still tell the Cheney Halloween stories every Halloween. I love this story, and I think it's so funny that they said, you know what? It's a closet. It's a closet. You know that tub that you see? Not a tub. Nobody died there. This is a closet. <laughs> I freaking love that. Thank you, Linda, for sending that one. I'm going to wrap this one up today, guys. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody who shared suggestions or personal stories. You made today's episode so much fun, and I appreciate you more than you even know. Until next time, please give us a like, review, follow on Instagram. Tell a friend to listen. Cheers, everybody. Bye.